0: Hey, I'm Veronica Dagger, and this is The Wall Street Journal's Secrets of Wealthy Women, where women share how they tackle career, money, and the world. Today we're speaking with Angela Yee, co-host of the nationally syndicated talk show The Breakfast Club on iHeartRadio. She's the only woman on the show, and she's known for her knowledge of celebrity gossip, quick wit, and news-making interviews but she's not all talk. In addition to her award-winning career as a radio host, she owns juice bars and an online juice business and is a diversity ambassador for the company that runs the Barclays Center. Plus, she's an advocate for financial literacy. She's here today to tell us how she got her start in radio, how she gets her voice heard, and how she stays focused while juggling a bunch of side hustles. Welcome, Angela. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Well, thank you, Veronica. I love that introduction.
0: Uh, Angela, you got your start in radio, not as a musician or a performer, but on the business side of the industry. And one of those first gigs was a college internship with Wu-Tang Management, a company connected to the Wu-Tang Clan hip-hop group. How did that experience change the course of your life?
1: Well, I think early on learning from Wu-Tang Management when I was there, I remember my business card had 10 different businesses on the back of it, right? And they were invested in so many different things. They had Wu-Tang Productions, Wu-Tang Publishing, Wu-Tang Management, Razor Sharp Records. You know, they had um, Wu-Tang Records. They had all these different companies. And I thought it was just fascinating that it's not just a music group making money from having a deal. But they also were into other things. They also were all spread out on different labels. They also owned record labels. They also had a publishing company. And so they had a WooWear. They had a clothing store. And so that was always fascinating to me to have one core of what you do, which was music, and then to be able to have all these different things that expand from it. So I think early on learning from them, I had to learn about multiple streams of income. And even for myself back then, I was working at Wu-Tang Management, but I also was doing other things to make money. I already had side hustles. I went to school for English and for writing, and so I was writing bios for artists at the same time.
0: Very entrepreneurial. There weren't a ton of women on the business side of the industry at that point, and there still aren't a lot. Were there any women you looked up to or viewed as a mentor at that time?
1: Man, at that time, you know, to be honest, like there weren't a lot of women, and I do feel like Even within our office, I had uh, one of the women. There was only two women that worked there. Besides, um, we did have women who were receptionists. And one of them I was close to. The other one I felt like she was, you know, a little bit competitive with me. And so sometimes it was difficult because women so often are pitted against each other, feeling like this is me. I'm the woman here and this person is trying to take my spot. And so I think that's difficult. And it was difficult early on. I feel like things are changing as we are infiltrating and being in our rightful positions. But I do feel like early on, it was just so competitive that it wasn't too many people that were trying to actually help me in the business. I'll be honest, early on, it was more men, I would say, that helped me. My boss um, was the CEO of wu Corporation, Divine, and he was really beneficial just as far as letting me have authority and giving me responsibilities and letting me handle things. Obviously, in the group, it was all guys. And so that's what I was dealing with on a daily basis. And then when I left there, I went to go work for another label at Virgin Records that was all men working in that office at the time. And it was a label that actually D'Angelo was signed to that was a startup label. And again, when I started, I was the only woman.
0: So how did you switch from the business side of getting you know, from behind the mic to becoming an on-air personality?
1: Well, my background after that, I went to go work at a marketing company, and then I started working for different clothing lines, and I was just basically freelancing. I had like six different jobs, and it was a good time for me because I didn't have an office I had to be in, and I was getting all these different checks. I ended up working for M&M's clothing line. That was one of the jobs that I freelanced, and then they hired me in-house, and it was a company called Nessie Apparel, and so what they did was they had a bunch of different brands, and they would just produce the clothes and do all the marketing and handle everything and then we all got laid off when that relationship dissolved and so for the first time i found myself unemployed and that had never happened for me before i was always hustling always working and i could have looked at it like man this is awful but instead i said look i've always worked like this has been something that i've done since i was in college for years after college I was 27 at the time, maybe 28. I was 28 at the time, and it was the first time that I wasn't working and, you know, for seven years straight, just always had a job, multiple jobs, multiple streams of income. And then when I came in house to this apparel company, I was there every single day. So I didn't really have a lot of things outside of that. And so I was like, let me take this time to use my unemployment, which I'd never done. And sit back and think. And so I went online and I was looking at Yahoo Hot Jobs and I was looking at different openings and I was like, what am I interested in? Like maybe this isn't I you know, I was doing the marketing I think because I was able to make money from it, but it wasn't anything that I was like my whole life wanted to do marketing. And so I said, let's pivot in my career. I know I'm 28 years old and I've never done something different before, but I saw an opening for marketing at Sirius, and then I asked Eminem's manager if he would mind just putting in a good word so I could at least just get an interview because I'm a big fan of just get me in the door and I'll take it from there. I don't need you to get me a job, but what would be great is if I have a referral and if you feel like I'm worthy of a referral because I never expect anybody to do anything me just because. I feel like I have to earn that. And I did earn that with him. And so he did not only put in a referral, but also said, why don't you try being on the air? I think it could be something cool for you. He also told me, I can't guarantee you the job. Ultimately, it's up to Sirius, but I can put you in position so you can go in, you can audition. They've been auditioning different people. And so I can make sure you at least get that. And so I was grateful for that. I went in there, I auditioned. I worked without getting paid for like a couple of months and then they decided to hire me.
0: So you started as a co-host to Cypher Sounds and he's a well-known DJ personality who's based in New York City. And you eventually got your own super popular radio show, a podcast called Lip Service, and you've done over 200 episodes already. So congrats on that. Wow. I didn't even know what I was up to. You get hip hop stars, men and women, to talk about their relationships in pretty graphic detail sometimes. How do you get them to
1: open up to you? I think, first of all, a lot of people that have been on the show, they already are familiar with me. And that helps a lot, right? It helps that people are familiar with your work. They've perhaps run into you places. They, They know people in common. So I think already there's a little level of comfortability. The other thing I think really helps people open up is when you do some research. And that's important because then they feel... Like, okay, this person cares about me. She did her research. She knows what's going on. She's been paying attention. And... That really helps a conversation flow when you cannot just go with the scripted questions, but you can also bear off and have a real conversation because you've listened to the music, you've read the book, you've watched the movie, whatever it is that they're promoting. I think that always puts people more at ease when you can be like, oh, okay, that happened. Well, you know what? I saw you wrote about it in your book also. So, you know, I would love to discuss how this relates to this relationship. And it, do- it does help because I think there's nothing worse than when you do an interview and then you're like, so what do you have going on? And it's like, damn, you don't know anything about me.
0: In 2010, you joined The Breakfast Club, a nationally syndicated radio show. And you co-host with DJ Envy and radio personality Charlamagne God. And the show has more than 8 million listeners a month and nearly 4.5 million subscribers on YouTube. For people who don't know it, how would you describe the show and who's your audience?
1: I would say that our show brings you a mixture of everything, right? It brings you music. It brings you entertainment. It brings you politics. It brings you front page news. It brings you gossip. So whatever it is that you need to know for the day, we incorporate that into the show. And we also try to do things in a different way that is uh, something that I feel like people can relate to. And so it's not anything that's gonna be over anybody's head, it's not condescending, it's just something that is regular talk like it's your friends having a conversation. You
0: interview a lot of celebrities, musicians and actors, and you obviously have a lot of fun, but you also have conversations about difficult topics. In one of your most recent interviews with R&B star August Alsina, he talked about his new documentary, and he opened up about his relationship with his mom and being sexually assaulted when he was younger. It was just the two of you, and it was very intimate, but in a very different way than lip service. Mm Mm-hmm. What do you think is more challenging, asking those sort of shocking questions or these really
1: emotional and personal interviews? I think the emotional and personal ones are always a lot more difficult just because you're trying to feel the person out. You also don't want to say anything that's too intrusive or inappropriate. And shocking questions are easy. I always feel like those are the easiest questions to ask and the most obvious ones. You know, Usually the most shocking questions are like, oh my God, I can't believe he asked that. But it's also something that everybody knows about, but maybe they just would feel intimidated to say it out loud or say it in a certain way. I think just having the tact to ask the questions and get somebody to open up emotionally and also be tapped into how they're feeling, that's important. For me to sit down with him and for him to feel comfortable enough, because I think when you shock people, it's catching them off guard. And that's a different feeling than when you make somebody feel like, I trust you.
0: That interview also got a lot of attention because Alcina revealed he had a relationship with actress Jada Pinkett Smith. Did you
1: know he was going to be so candid about that? No. You know what? He did tell me before the interview that I could ask him anything. And I'm pretty sure when he said anything, he knew that would come up. And he did tell me, he said, Angela, I'm going to give you the truth about it. And I know it's going to be something that is... A lot for people, but I just want to be honest and truthful. And I was like, okay, let's not talk about it anymore. You know, I would rather things be spontaneous. So when we discuss it, you don't feel rehearsed about anything and that I don't feel like I'm expecting it. And so I think that was something that if you pay attention, you already knew what it was, but it just had never been confirmed. So all that was was just him confirming something that was kind of known. What was the response you got from him and from listeners? He appreciated the fact that I didn't dwell on it. And that was something that I think I made sure I didn't do that. You know, I wasn't going to be asking details that were disrespecting anybody or anything. So I just wanted him to get whatever he had to get off his chest. And I knew it was something that was weighing on him because it affected him. It affected his career. And he just wanted to set the record straight and be honest and be truthful. And if anybody knows August, they know that he is all about just expressing himself and being truthful. And he has gone through so much. I just felt like this was like a purging for him to just confirm so that people can be like, okay, now I've said it, let's move past it. Because I think sometimes with artists and celebrities, there's things that you know people are going to be asking you all the time. It kind of weighs on you. So the Mm -hmm. best thing to do is just let's get it out there, get it over with, let's move on.
0: Talking about other things, you talk a lot about the news on The Breakfast Club, and there's been a lot of news in the world.
1: How do you decide what to cover and how to cover it? It's hard because, you know, again, this is a show that we have to get into commercials at this time, and we have to get into music at this time. So it is a rigid schedule. So it might be front page news. Maybe the, you know, we were talking too much in the beginning of the show. So now front page news is only three minutes long. So how do you cover the biggest stories in just those three minutes? Sometimes it's not easy because we have police brutality. We have coronavirus. We have, you know, sports and the NFL and the NBA and Major League Baseball and the WNBA and all of these things going on. And so for me, I try to pick things that affect everybody, but it's just hard. Sometimes we just don't get to it all. Talk radio
0: is really dominated by male voices. And on The Breakfast Club, you have two male co-hosts. How would you describe the dynamic in the studio on the show?
1: I would say uh, Charlemagne is the one that pushes the buttons and he's the one that's kind of more of the wild card. DJ Envy is the one that's always trying to, you know, reel it back in, make things stay on track. And that's, you know, it's kind of different roles. I think it's a balance, you know, because you can't have somebody that goes too far and then no one else brings them back in. So I think the balance of the show has been like that you sometimes get talked over, even though it's your show too. How do you make sure your voice gets heard? Yeah, it's not easy sometimes. And it it sounds messy, right? Because I always feel like, and the way I was trained in radio, you don't talk over each other. So I'll just let them finish and then I'll make sure I say my point. And I think what I have to do is, you know, the other day I was like trying to talk, trying to talk. I was like, Angela's cutting in. (laughs) And sometimes I just have to talk over them just to be heard. And it's interesting to me because I think depending on who you ask, some people might be like, oh, you cut them off. And I'm like, no, I've been cut off 10 times. I'm just trying to get heard. And so it's not always easy. And, you know, they might say, oh, Angela talked over me or this happened. But sometimes when you're really passionate about something, you're just gonna have to raise your voice and go in even harder. And then sometimes you just have to fall back, but it's just a, a balance of that too and figuring out when you do what.
0: We're gonna take a quick break, but when we come back, Angela is gonna tell us how she manages all those side hustles and what she's learned about financial literacy. Angela, in addition to being on air, you have a bunch of side hustles. You have your own juice bars and online juice business. You host a book club for Simon & Schuster. You're an ambassador for the New York Public Library System. You're a public speaker, and you're a diversity and inclusion ambassador for the company that operates the Barclays Center. What's your day like and how do you get it all done?
1: You know, I have this um Blackboard right here, right next to me, and every I update my Blackboard all the time. So what I do is I put what I have going on every day. You guys are up here. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I just put everything on here. I do my lip service podcast, and I do that, you know, at least once a week. And so that's always on the schedule. I know I have to do that. Um, and... You know, I'm also on the board for the American Foundation for the University of the West Indies. I have, I'm on the board for We Are Family Foundation. But I think a lot of the things that I do are things that I want to do that I'm passionate about. And when you're passionate about things, it doesn't feel like work. So for myself, I just try to make sure that I balance my schedule. Like I said, Thursday, I'm not doing anything after my morning show. So that one day a week that gives me like a little bit of time to just refresh and reset is really important to me. What
0: motivates you to keep so busy and have so many projects? And um, it sounds like passion
1: helps you decide what to pursue. I think the fact that I've never had money growing up and now I do have money and businesses and investments And they're all in things that I care about. Like I have a couple of properties in Detroit. I have two properties in Brooklyn and I'm in the process of buying a third one that I'm really excited about. And so for myself, it's just, Also thinking about later in life, just being able to have passive income is important to me. I want to live comfortably. I've worked my whole entire life, except for the couple of months I was on unemployment. And so the reason that you do that is because there's a payoff for it. And so what I'm trying to do is make sure that I'm responsible with my money and that I plan carefully for the future because I don't want to have to do anything I don't want to do later. And so even having the juice bar, like the juice bar I have, being able to have a business that helps the community. And it's not like a huge moneymaker, but it's something I could sustain myself on if I needed to. And to have these rents coming in, you know, that's something that I could sustain, sustain myself on if I needed to. So for me, it's just important to never feel like I need any one source of income. It's important for me to know that if that doesn't work out, I still have this, this, this and this. Before
0: the pandemic, you would host Wealth Wednesdays at one of your Brooklyn juice bars where you and money experts like Past Secrets guest Stacey Tisdale would teach the community about financial literacy. What's
1: your goal here? Well, and we are still doing Wealth Wednesdays virtually right now, and it's been really amazing. With Wealth Wednesdays, a lot of people right now have had so many different things happen in their lives that securing themselves financially is important. And I know how stressful it can be when you're worried about money. I know from my own experience to how stressful it is when you have anxiety about finances, about income. I still have that all the time. I'm always scared that something's going to happen and I'll lose everything. And I think, really? yeah, oh, like that's something I think that I will never be completely comfortable with. But I also have learned that, it doesn't make sense for me to have a whole bunch of money in the bank because if I do, that means I need to be investing in something. And that's something I've had to learn as I've made more money. And so investments are really important. And, and I think it's just such a different time that people need this information right now. So with Wealth Wednesday, the goal right now is different, I think, than it was before. The goal right now is to, for people to learn how to pivot, how to maximize whatever abilities and skills that they have, how to figure out ways that they can sustain themselves and even prosper during this time. What's the
0: best financial advice you received that you wish you had gotten when you were younger?
1: (laughs) Uh, To buy a house. You know, I think there were times in my life when I was freelancing and I had money in the bank. And if I would have invested back then... It would have been amazing, and it wouldn't have been as expensive as it is now. I remember there was a time when I just had thirty thousand dollars back then, and thirty thousand dollars when I was younger would have easily, you know, bought me a house in Bed Stuy that I could have, instead of paying rent, been paying a mortgage on. But it wasn't anything that was ever ingrained in me. I never thought about it. I was just had a renter's mentality, and I think now. I do have this ownership mentality and I'm not scared. I used to be really scared of everything and scared to spend money and scared to invest. And now I understand that you have to take risk in order to have any type of reward. How did you learn about investing, whether it's in stocks or in real estate? It was something that I taught myself. It honestly all happened. It started with me just buying my first house And truthfully, before I bought my first house, my best friend and I used to be roommates. And so while she was buying her house, I was along with her for that journey of going to look at properties and her securing her mortgage. So I was able to witness everything that she was doing and then feel like, okay, one day I'll be doing that also. And with that education from just watching her, when it was time for me to save up that money, I said, okay, I went really hard for two years to get enough money just to get a down payment on a house. And I didn't even know what I could afford. So it was a whole process of me learning things. I went out with different real estate brokers. And it was really my realtor who I use now. She helped me. I didn't know anything about getting pre-approved for a mortgage. That was She was the first person that ever said that to me. And I had other realtors that never even told me that. They were just showing me properties without having me do something like that. And so she told me to do that. That's what helped me learn what I could afford to spend. And then... Uh, She also told me when I bought my first house where I'm at right now, she told me, look, Angela, this is not your final home. This is your first house. So look at this as an investment. I live here. It's a two family house. I have income coming in. So that helps me with my mortgage. And that really helped my mentality because I think sometimes you're going out trying to find something that's perfect. And it might be what's perfect for now. And it's something that you do for a few years And then you move on and you sell it and you make a profit. I bought my house for $985,000 and now it's worth about $1.6. And that was only six years ago and I paid it off already. Nice. You manage all these other projects in addition to your day job at the Breakfast Club. Do you ever think about quitting your job for your other hustles? Um, I think that radio can be very addictive and you feel like family with your listeners. And so you feel this responsibility, even... When I was on vacation, I had the week off. We always have the week of the 4th of July off. And so I was on vacation, and you feel a little guilty when you're not there. And so it is something that is difficult, and especially right now, like, we're working from home. We're still able to do this. And people were really relying on us for information, for these interviews that we've been doing. So I think that I'm not ready for that yet, but, you know, it could be other things, too. I feel like I do enjoy having this platform. And I do feel like there's benefits from it besides just being on the platform, but also having businesses that you want to promote. So that's important too. So I just feel like when you're in these positions, you have to make sure that whatever else it is that you wanna do, this is the time to start it.
0: Thank you so much for joining us, Angela. I really appreciate it. Thank you. If you'd like to hear more stories of inspiring women, you can find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts or your favorite audio provider. If you like us, subscribe, share us on social media and give us a review. Our producer is Trinae Norie. Our executive producer is Kateri Yoakam. Additional help from personal finance editor Bray Lamb. I'm Veronica Dagger. Thanks for listening.